Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for February 11th, 2024. This is the Sunday of the Transfiguration of our Lord, also known as the last Sunday of Epiphany. And Ash Wednesday is uh, just coming up on February 14th. Today we're looking at the story of God calling Moses. In the textbook 120 Bible stories, this story is found on page 50. In scripture, this story covers the text of the end of Exodus chapter 2 through Exodus chapter 4. Now, last time we heard about the birth of Moses and his childhood, how he was born and miraculously saved by God from being uh, murdered as an infant for being a Hebrew boy, how he was raised in Pharaoh's household by Pharaoh's daughter who treated him like a son, how later on as an adult, he saved some of his fellow Israelites from an Egyptian by killing the Egyptian, but then the Israelites turned on him so he had to flee because Pharaoh found out about the killing. And then we heard how Moses uh, spent the next 40 years of his life or so in Midian, where he met the priest of Midian, Jethro, and married one of Jethro's daughters. So Moses has spent some time now in Egypt. He spent some time in the wilderness by, by spending time as a shepherd in Midian. And now our story picks up at the end of Exodus chapter 2. As we hear how God calls Moses into service as his prophet and as a leader of the people of Israel. So Exodus 2 concludes with verses 23 through 25 to set the stage. And it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, once again, when it says that God remembered Israel, when God saw their suffering, and when God knew their cries, this doesn't mean that he was suddenly made aware of their plight. It doesn't mean that he had forgotten his promises. It means that God still remembered, God saw them, God still knew of their cries and his promises, and now it was time to do something about it, which leads us to the call of Moses. So in Exodus 3 verse 1 we hear, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. 
Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. All right, so Moses leads his, uh, his flock to the west side of the wilderness, comes to Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai. So this will be a place of significant events time and time again in the Old Testament. Right now, Moses sees the burning bush. Soon he'll receive the, uh, the Ten Commandments after the Exodus here too. Now Moses sees a bush that is on fire, but it is not consumed. And, and this, of course, is a, a curiosity. It, it, it defies the laws of physics, which means something supernatural is going on. And it's important to note here that the text says in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And then in verse 4, God called to him out of the bush. So the word angel simply means messenger. So an individual person, a human being, can be a messenger. Or, of course, we have God's heavenly creatures, the angels, who are heavenly messengers, like Gabriel appearing to Mary. However, God also delivers his message. And every now and then in the Old Testament, the term the angel of the Lord applies to Jesus before his incarnation. And in this case... It's kind of a slam dunk. It's the angel of the Lord in the bush, and it's God himself because it's God calling to Moses out of the bush. And so this angel of the Lord at this supernatural miracle is God himself. And so we take it that this is, in fact, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, calling to Moses out of the bush. He tells Moses, he calls Moses to him and at the same time says, don't come near, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is is holy ground. And we should note that the ground is holy because God is there. It's not that God is there because the ground is naturally holy. It is holy because God has come there and God has made it holy. One other interesting note about the burning bush is that this is one of God's veils or masks in the Old Testament. He will later tell Moses in Exodus 33 that no one can look upon the face of God and live. So as God interacts with his people throughout the Old Testament, he has to put on masks As Luther says, he has to wear veils. So here, for whatever reason, God chooses to hide himself, to veil himself in this burning bush. When he leads Israel out of the land of Egypt, he will veil himself in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Of course, when he is born of Mary, he has, he has veiled himself in human flesh, although it's more than that because Jesus isn't just wearing a flesh costume at that point because he's also fully man as well as fully God. But 
One of the ways that God veils himself today is in the Lord's Supper. Our Lord masks himself, his body and blood in with an under bread and wine for our good. Now, one of the objections to baptism and the Lord's Supper being sacraments is that God hasn't operated this way before. In truth, these are masks of God and God was masking himself throughout the Old Testament in the burning bush, in the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle and temple, etc. So God has called Moses to him. Moses is now before God and Moses hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. We read in verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to go to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. All right, so in this section, the Lord gives Moses kind of the, the, the preview of all that's going to happen. He will use Moses to bring the people out of Egypt, bring them across the wilderness, stop at Mount Horeb along the way, and then take them to the promised land. So God is keeping his promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It's just taken longer than the Israelites would have liked. And this, of course, is a reminder to you and me that, that God will keep his promises, but he does so for our good in his time. Now, God has given Moses a sign, but the sign is after the exodus, when you lead the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses wants a bit more than that. And he says, then Moses said to God in verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be rem remembered throughout all generations." Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, 
etc., a land flowing with milk and honey. So if Moses is going to speak as God's representative, he wants to speak in God's name, so he wants to know God's name. And so while God has called it many things throughout Scripture, all sorts of wonderful titles, he gives Moses his name here. His name is I am who I am, or for short, I am, which is really a profound name because it, it means that God always is and is unchanging. He who was and is and is to come, that is all the same God. And if God is always there, if he is always all-knowing and all-powerful and, and, and present everywhere, then his word is everlasting and his promises don't change. Now, in Hebrew, the pronunciation of I am is Yahweh. In most English translations of the Bible, wherever you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that's actually the word Yahweh, but but printed L-O-R-D in capitals. And this is because of, um, well, I suppose reverence for the name Yahweh, or at least fear of offending people who don't want to say Yahweh's name out loud. I often refer to the Lord when I could say Yahweh. I sometimes actually use God's name, Yahweh, when I record these podcasts. Um, we are free to make use of God's name for his purposes, right? As the, as the second commandment explanation says, we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use t- satanic arts, or dis- lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. God gives us his name to call upon him, um, to, to treat his name reverently for good. Of course, these days... We often call upon our Lord in the name of Jesus. Of course, Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, is Yahweh. And the name Jesus itself means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is saving. And so we often pray in the name of Jesus to pray in the name of Yahweh, who is our Savior. Anyways, as Moses returns to the Israelites in Egypt and to Pharaoh, he now knows the name of the God who sends him. And when he speaks before Pharaoh, he will speak in the name of Yahweh. When he speaks to the Israelites, he will speak in the name of Yahweh. He will be God's representative who speaks his word to those who will hear. I've skipped part of Exodus chapter 3 as God tells uh, Moses more of of how he is to tell the Israelites that, that God has remembered them in Egypt, that Yahweh will keep his promises, and that they will actually leave Egypt with unexpected prosperity because the Egyptians will give them jewelry on their way out of the country. But Moses is still not convinced, so we start chapter 4, verse 1, hearing this. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. 
The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So God gives Moses a couple of preliminary signs uh, to show his authority. One is he can turn his, his rod, his staff, into a serpent, into a snake. Now, that seems kind of a strange one because uh, since Genesis chapter 3, serpents don't have a great reputation in Scripture. They're, they're, uh, they're a reminder of Satan and his evil work. But serpents play an important role in Egyptian culture. They're a sign of, of um, among other things, wisdom and fertility and healing. Egyptians actually worship snakes. And if you remember, the, the headdress of, of an Egyptian pharaoh has a cobra on, on the crest and the crown of his head. And that cobra is called a wajit. And it's a symbol of, the Egyptians say, the god who rules over the lower Nile, where, it, uh, where the Nile Delta is, the fertile lands where it empties into the Mediterranean Sea. And, uh, and so Pharaoh, um, Pharaoh wore this symbol of this god, this, this, this cobra, on his crown to symbolize that he had authority over Egypt. Well, if Moses can turn his staff into a, a serpent and turn the serpent back into a staff again, he has power over serpents. And in, in, this, in this wonder, God is showing that he is more powerful than, than the wajit, also known as, as Uraeus. God gives him a second command or a second sign where he can turn his hand leprous and back to show that he has, he has power in God's name over nature and over disease. And God says, if they don't buy those two signs, then you can turn some water from the Nile into the blood, into blood, which will actually be, I think, the start of the, the start of the ten plagues. Moses is still not convinced. He says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, this is verse 10, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. 
you can understand why the Lord begins to get angry with Moses. Could if, if the Lord can turn staves into snakes and make hands leprous and unleprous, he can certainly make Moses make sense when he talks. But we read in verse 14, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. All right, so the Lord is angry. His anger is kindled against Moses, which usually means that punishment is to follow. However, in this case, um, help follows instead. The Lord provides Aaron as a helper to Moses, as a speaker. And so uh, Aaron will be Moses' mouthpiece. Now, it's funny because Moses is known as the prophet who represents God. Aaron will be the mouthpiece of the prophet Moses who represents God. Later on, Aaron will be the high priest. So in Moses, you have a type of Christ as prophet and leader of the people. And Aaron, you have a type of Christ as the priest who makes sacrifices so that they remain God's people. All right, so... In a brief interlude here, Moses returns home. Uh, he gets his father-in-law's blessing to return to his brother in Egypt. And so Moses takes his, uh, his, his, his wife and his sons, and they head back to the land of Egypt. And as they depart, we read in verse 21, The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt... See that you do before Pharaoh and all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. This is important that, that God calls Israel his, his, his son, his firstborn son. And this actually gets some significance when Jesus is baptized and God says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because as you know, Israel, the nation, as a firstborn son, is a pretty disobedient son to God the Father. And so Jesus comes along to be the firstborn, or the, rather the only begotten son, who does what the nation of Israel didn't. He obeys his father perfectly. Then he dies for the sins of Israel, the firstborn son, and for our sins too. Verses 24 through 26 are kind of a cryptic episode in the book of Exodus. We read... At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. 
It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So again, kind of a cryptic couple verses there. The Lord seeks to kill him, which either mean might mean Moses or their uncircumcised son, Zipporah, Moses' wife, circumcises her son and touches Moses' feet with the foreskin. Whatever this text, whatever else it means, um, we can con- conclude that a, a life is saved from God's wrath by the shedding of blood. And, and this even foreshadows then um, that circumcision will be a sign by which Israel is, is set apart from other nations when God codifies that in his law. The text ends, uh, chapter 4 ends with these verses. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he was, had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. So as the text ends, the Israelites um, hear what God has declared, and they believe that God remembers them. And so now they are ready for, uh, for Moses to go about his work of, of freeing them from Pharaoh. All right, so how does this story point to Christ? A few things along the way. <clears throat> First off, of course, when the Lord appears to Moses in the burning bush, That's Jesus himself present in the burning bush. The tip-off is the angel of the Lord, the one who reveals God's word to us, who will be Jesus, the word made flesh later on. Again, we have this this example of God veiling himself. And this points to Christ in that as God veils himself, really as Jesus veils himself in that burning bush, uh, so he veils himself in, in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. He veils himself in the water and word of baptism. And so he is with us to deliver us. Jesus, remember, is, uh, is the New Testament form of the Old Testament Hebrew name Joshua. And the name means Yahweh is salvation, and Jesus is Yahweh, and Jesus is the salvation of his people. Moses' power over the serpent not only shows that he uh, represents a God greater than Pharaoh and, and the wadjet, the cobra on his crown, but it's also a reminder of the Genesis 3.15 prophecy that the Messiah would crush the serpent's head. Moses can handle this, this, uh, this staff turned to snake, and, uh, and, and God, uh, Jesus himself, will show his power over, over the great serpent, the dragon, the devil. The wonder of the leprous hand shows a power over disease and death. Jesus, of course, heals lepers and ulcers of other diseases, 
during his public ministry on the way to the cross. When God declares Israel to be his firstborn son in the text, again, he's foreshadowing Jesus' baptism. When he calls Jesus his beloved son, if Israel would have kept the law perfectly, they would have always been God's people, and God would have had a people. But the Israelites disobeyed, and so Jesus comes to take their place. As the one who was baptized in the Jordan on his way to the cross, he is all the nation of Israel reduced to one perfect, obedient child. So Jesus obeys his father perfectly for Israel's sake. He suffers God's wrath perfectly for Israel's sake. And of course, as St. Paul says, we are grafted into Israel as, 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 uh, as Gentiles so that uh, Jesus has, has done these things for us too. Whatever is happening in that cryptic passage in chapter 4, verses 24 to 26, it vaguely foreshadows the circumcision of Jesus. That's in Luke verse 22, verse 21, where, uh, where Yahweh is salvation. That's the name of Jesus. He first sheds his blood in obedience to the law. And so God's wrath is averted from us. And so we are, we are saved from, from God's wrath. And finally, as Moses and Aaron, both types of Christ, as prophet and priest, as they remind the people of God's faithfulness and the promised land is coming. So Jesus, as prophet, priest, and king, he proclaims God's deliverance because he is God's deliverance. And by his preaching and by his miracles, he declares that the promised land is coming for his people as well. All right, so that concludes a quick look at the story of God calling Moses in Exodus chapters, really three and four, a little bit of chapter two. God grant you every blessing as you meditate upon this text further. God grant you every good gift if you're teaching it to others. And um, until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.